Revelation chapter 20 and beginning in verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having a key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of that the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up, and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The dead gave up the dead who were in it, and uh, the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. May God add his blessing to that reading of his own word. Last time our main subject was on the binding of Satan. And because we were focusing on that great event, we didn't speak much about the events of verses 7 to 10. But we can summarize them by saying that Satan was the strong man whom Christ bound at the cross. And at the end of the time, he will be let loose entirely without restriction for a brief season and then he and all those who follow him will be brought to final condemnation. Summarily dealt with and amazing, this very brief summary, uh, no great battle, but just in Revelation 20, verse 9, And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the last we hear of Satan. Now, the scene shifts to the great white throne and to him who sat on it. And at the outside, I just, outset, I just remind you one more time that, again, uh, the emphasis must always be on Christ rather than just a mere cataloging of these events. It's not a travelogue. It's not something for curiosity. It is the, the, the spotlight is always on Christ who is doing all these things. 
We're going to be talking about the Day of Judgment. We're going to be talking about the books that are are being opened in some detail and, of course, the fate of all mankind that hangs upon them and this judgment. But we must not forget that all of this is to the glory of the one who sits upon that great white throne. That's why our confession says that the, the end, the purpose, the goal of God's appointing that day is for the manifestation of his glory, the glory of his mercy, in the eternal salvation of the elect and of his justice in the damnation of the reprobate who are wicked and disobedient. That's in the Westminster Confession 33.2. It's for the manifestation of his glory, and we must not lose sight of that as we go through these things. Now also, as with so much of Revelation, there's a reference to the Old Testament prophets, and here the reference would seem to be to Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel 7.9, Daniel says this, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were open. Okay? Now that context is really helpful for us, because it reminds us, of Daniel's own sense of dismay as these events were given to him of the future. He sees that the saints for a time are given under the power of the evil one and all those who are enemies to God. And he's in in darkness and dismay and, and it seems for a moment that God is not in charge. But then he kept on watching until the thrones were seated, where the, the throne was was set and the the one who sat upon that throne and the books were opened. And I would suggest to you, and I'll mention this again, that we must do the same. We must continue to see things in that perspective all the way to the end. Because as we've been going through Revelation, we see how bad things can and will get. We see it once again. But we must keep looking until we see these books opened and the judgment actually being handed down. Now notice that the books, plural, were opened. And so it is in our passage in verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And we have to ask, what are we talking about? Which books are these? Well, as I think we'll see, we're talking about at least two, possibly three or four of these books And the content of what is written in these books will determine the eternal destiny of everyone who has ever lived. Now we have to say again at the outset that God does not need any physical books. He's not looking at something and finding something he never knew before and looking up with surprise to to say, I didn't didn't know this. No, of course not. Um, It is just part of the omniscience of God. He knows everything. And that means he knows everything in the past, everything in the present, and everything in the future. All things are alike and immediately clear to him. There's nothing hid before his eyes at all. And so he doesn't need any physical book to tell him anything. Yet the Bible speaks very clearly, not only here but in other places, of there being these books. And I think what is being pointed out to us is the, the public manifestation of these things. God may not need these books, but the opening and declaration of these things is that, the, that all these things might be made public and that nothing remains hidden at all when Judgment Day happens. Now, the main thing is that the fact that these books will be opened and that people will be judged according to them. 
And again, going back to the confession, uh, a couple of paragraphs before what I previously read in, in chapter 33, God has appointed a day wherein he will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ, to whom all power and judgment is given of the Father, in which day not only apostate angels shall be judged, meaning the demons, but likewise all persons that have lived upon earth shall appear before the tribunal of Christ to give an account of their thoughts, words, and deeds, and to receive according to that which they have done in the body, whether good or evil. The books are going to be open. And that's our topic this morning. The books opened. And we'll cover in this in three points. First, the book of works. Second, the book of life. And third, the book of remembrance. First, the book of works. As in verse 12 we read, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And, skipping down, the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. And we see this repeated phrase, each one according to his works. Now we must understand the basis. We must understand the rules of engagement of this life. We are all born under a covenant, and that particular covenant, naturally speaking, is the covenant of works. You don't have to go out and find this covenant. You don't have to go out and join this covenant. If you are descended from Adam and Eve, you are in this covenant of works that God made with Adam and all of his descendants, without exception. We rightly point out that there is one exception to the curse, one exception to the fallen sinful nature it's all those by ordinary generation who come because there's one exception in Jesus Christ, but there is no exception to the covenant of works. Every last human being who's ever lived is under that covenant of works. All men are part of this covenant. Now, what are the terms of this? It's very simple. You obey God's law perfectly and you live, sin, and you will die. That's just as simple as we can make it. And if there's nothing else, if there's no other covenant to supersede it, if there's no other book that has your name in it, that is the end of the story. The book of your works will be opened. Now, I understand, by the way, that the, it's the, we don't have in our text something that says the book of works, but it's clear that there is a book with your works written in it. And we might as well just call it the book of works. And that book will be opened. All the things that you've ever said and done and even thought are there plainly before God. Now, the idea of this, of there being a covenant of works, of course, implies that there must be a record of it. If the basis by which you will be judged in the end is whether you have uh, perfectly obeyed God's law in all of its detail or not, then therefore there must be a perfect record of these things. And that's what we have. Now, we've, we've said that it must be a, um, there cannot be a single blot, there cannot be a single exception to your keeping God's law. There can't be any transgression whatsoever. It must be perfect obedience to these things. And then notice the outcome of the judgment. And it's not a surprising outcome at all. Because it says, The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to its works. And death and Hades were cast in the lake of fire, in toto. And this is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. So all the inhabitants 
of death and Hades are brought in to judgment. And all the inhabitants of death and Hades are then sent out into the lake of fire. There's no exception to them. They come in as a group and they go out as a group. Because, of course, these are the ones who were already part of, of the, 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 the people of God. They don't, in a real sense, die. We say they just have fallen asleep because they go into be the immediate presence of, of God. They're not in death in Hades. And therefore, those who are outside of Christ are the ones who are in death in Hades. And all those who are outside of Christ are brought before the tribunal. And all those are found guilty because every last one of them has sinned. There is no exception. If this is the only book that has your name in it, the book of works, your judgment is a foregone conclusion because you cannot keep God's law perfectly. I think even the most lifted up and prideful person among us would have to admit that once in a while they have sinned. Once in a while they have fallen short. You can think of one or two instances in your lifetime where you have not done absolutely as you should. Well, even that is more than enough to condemn you before God. But the plain reality is it's much worse than that, isn't it? The plain reality, if we took a careful account of everything that you did, is that we'd find that it's not just a few exceptional cases that you can think of in the many years of your lifetime but it's the, the sins that have accumulated on a year-by-year, month-by-month, day-by-day, and hour-by-hour basis because it is God's standard and not ours. We always want to measure ourselves by a relative standard. Compared to other people, I'm not so bad. And you look at them in the, in the worst light possible, and you look at yourself in the best light possible. But God's not like that. That's why it's so relevant when we think of the picture of God that was in Daniel chapter 7. This one who, like a flame of fire and this, and this burning light of his, his eyes and his face and his hair, it's all pointing to the perfect holiness and righteousness of his judgment. And before that perfect light of day, not a single one can stand. In fact, it says all of earth fled away from his presence. And that holiness, sinful humanity, has no place to stand. And rather the picture is of those, the accused, cowering before the king knowing that their deeds cannot stand the light of day. And as we consider this, you must think to yourself, can your deeds stand the light of day? Yes, I know they can stand your own very generous judgment. And you have more than enough allowances and excuses to cover just about anything you've ever done. But the question is, can your deeds stand the light of day before this holy judge before whom nothing is hidden whatsoever? Because one day this book of works will be opened. And all those who are brought before this throne on that basis will fail the test. And they will surely go into eternal hell. Well, that was the book of works. It's not a book that you want to be judged on the basis of. But secondly, that we have another book, the book of life. Verse 12, it says, another book was opened, which is the book of life. And we must immediately say, praise God that there is another book. Praise God that the book of life, or the book of works is not the only thing out there. There is another book out there, of which there is a possibility then, of there being another way, another basis upon which judgment is going to happen. 
Now this book of life, this concept, runs throughout Scripture. It's not something that's just here. It starts way back in Exodus 32. If you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. And likewise in Psalm 69, 28. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. And the idea here of the book of life is just a simple accounting of all those who are alive. Any god, any king, any military leader, anyone, any boss has to keep track of his people. And God keeps track of his people in his book of life. And if your name remains there, you're alive. But if he's been blotted out, then you're dead with all the spiritual consequences that come with that. And this then is the basis upon which the people of Revelation 20 are being judged. There's the book of works and there's also the book of life. Are you there? And it's a simple binary process here. Are you found? Is your name in this book or not? No works in this book, just simply names. If the name's in there, you'll be saved. And going back to Daniel, Daniel 12.1, At that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. If you're in that book, that's all that needs to be known. You'll be saved. And also, again, throughout Scripture, Philippians 4.3, And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. It's terribly important that your, book, your name be in this book. Thankfully, there's no works involved. Thankfully, it's just that your name is there. Every name written in the book is saved. But, as in our, cha- our passage, if your name is not there, in verse 15, anyone not found in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. It's so very simple. And the question is, how does our name get there? Well, here's where we come to yet another book. Maybe it's the same book. Maybe it's just a different way of looking at this same book. But here we're talking about the Lamb's book of life. Lamb's Book of Life. We've encountered this in Revelation on a couple of times. And in, in Revelation 3, 5, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the Book of Life, but confess his name before my Father and his angels. So that's just the Book of Life, of which, in the sense that you can be blotted out of it. And then in Revelation 13, 8, All those who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the Book of Life of the Lamb, slain before the foundation of the world. And the only difference in perspective between these things is that in the book of life, maybe you have the idea that that names are written who are later blotted out. And in the Lamb's book of life, names are written for whom Christ will save. And eventually these two things will match perfectly. Again, maybe they're different perspectives. They're looking at the very same thing. And of course, the existence of the Lamb's book of life helps us to understand what we saw a long time ago in the Gospel of John, when in the Good Shepherd passage, in John chapter 10, Christ is speaking about dying for his sheep. He says, all those that the Father has given me, I will lose none of them. The Father has given the Son a certain number. He's given them certain names. He's handed him these names and said, Son, you're going to save them. And he says, Father, I will save them. And it does not matter what it takes to save them. He will endure it. It does not matter what he needs to shepherd them through. He will find a way for them at the end to be found to be safe and alive. 
All those in the Lamb's book of life will be saved because Christ is the good shepherd. If your name is written in that book, you have nothing to fear because Christ himself will ensure that you're saved. Now, we'll speak more later on the basis upon which you are to be found in Christ. And I just say for the moment that as we even consider the difference between these two books, we consider one book for those who desire to save themselves. And the only thing there written are their works. And, and we see whether these works actually live up to the expectations of God's holy law. And in every single case, every single case is not good enough. Every last one who comes to that throne on that basis is then cast into the, the lake of fire eternally to be with Satan and his demons. And my question to you is, do you think you're the one exception? We have before us a situation of a 100% fail rate on this. Is this the basis by which you want to be seen? Or, we consider the Lamb's book of life, in which of all those that, the, that Christ has in his hand, not one of them is going to die. Not one of them is going to fail whatsoever. 100% success rate of Christ bringing you through this entire process of all this life, and even through the judgment to come, and you'll be saved. And the question is, what book do you want to be in? Which one do you want to be judged on the basis of? Well, that's the Lamb's book of life. Again, the basis for the judgment here is not at all what your works are, but just simply that you're in this book of life. But thirdly and finally, we have a book of remembrance. The thing that's in our text and throughout Revelation is that there is mention of everyone receiving according to their works. And that's the difficult thing. We said there's these kind of two different bases for which we come through this judgment. There's a book of works in which everyone who has lived, who's outside of Christ, they are judged according to their works and they all fail. And then there's also the book of life by which if you're written in that book, you're saved and it doesn't matter what you've done. But yet, the funny thing is, here in our passage and in other places, it clearly says that everyone, all human beings, will be judged according to their works. That's even what we found in the Confession 33. Same thing. We're all going to somehow be judged according to our works. How is that possible? What, by what works, then, are believers going to be judged at all? Well, I think there's something we might call the book of remembrance. Now, the beginnings of this in Scripture, we could see it in Job. Job 19.23 says this, Oh, that my words were written, that they were inscribed in a book, that they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand at the last on the earth. And the question is, why would Job be so willing, so desirous that his words and his works be recorded and then recounted before his Redeemer, who is going to stand at the end of days. Can't possibly be in the sense of sinful works. Can't possibly be in the sense that he wants to be saved according to his works because he knows that he's a sinner. That's why he says he needs a Redeemer. What then are these works? It's his righteous deeds that have been done by Christ in him. And that's why he wants them to be recounted. 
And that's very similar then to what the psalmist says. In Psalm 56, 8, You number my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Speaks not just of this as a, rea- as a possibility, as something that is to be desired, but of a reality. This psalmist knows that his tears, his sufferings, on behalf of the Lord, they'll not be forgotten, but rather they'll be remembered and they will be rewarded. He knows that they're going to be written in his book. Well, what do we call this book? A book, and the name is given to this book in Malachi 3.16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. You see, from beginning to end... If, if it is absolutely clear that if we are trying to save ourselves, that if we stand before that judgment on the basis of our works, we'll certainly fail. But likewise, likewise, it is true that not one minor, tiny, small good deed done by Christians, done by God's people on the basis of Christ, on the basis of spiritual things, will be forgotten. They'll all be remembered You'll all be told on that last day, and we will be rewarded on that basis. Now, Christ has paid for all of our sins, past, present, and future. We know that. The possibility, now I want you to understand this, because some people wonder, well, it may be still, I'm going to be judged on the basis of your works. Well, not like what we've been talking about with regard to the book of works. It's not like that. Because what is going to happen? What's going to happen when the book of works is opened? All right? It's got the sins, all the sins that have ever been committed in it, right? Because outside of Christ, everything that we ever do is sinful. I should have said that before. It's because of our failed motivations, because we're not doing it out of, out of love to Christ and glory for, for desire for his glory. There's a sinful taint to even the best things that we do. And so the book of works is entirely, from one end to the other, is completely full of sin. Now, if you're going to look under your name or my name, what are you going to find there on the last day? Are you really going to find a list of sins? I don't think so. I actually think that that's why Christ came to die. I actually think that every last penny was extracted from Christ on the cross. And I think that the handwriting that was written against us and the curse of the law was also nailed to his cross. And all things that were written against us and all the record of our sins before God was nailed to that cross. And there's not a single one left. There's no basis, as you know, there's no basis for Satan to accuse us anymore in heaven because of what Christ has done. That was the great thing that we pointed to. We were speaking of Satan being bound and being cast out of heaven. He has no basis to accuse God's people anymore. Our sins have been paid for. There is no sin on that day, then, for those who are in Christ to possibly stand in jeopardy of being condemned. There's nothing there. It's been paid in full. And so the question, and that's why it's the beautiful summary of these things in, in Romans 8, one, and never forget this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. And if you're ever fearful of standing in judgment, if you're in Christ, you must remember that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And so the only thing left for us then, 
The only thing left for us to gain or to lose on judgment day is rewards. It's rewards. Many passages speak about rewards, but two only in Revelation that I think that, that give us a picture. Christ says in Revelation 22.12, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. That's a general, a universal term. I'm going to come and give everyone according to their works. And then you see the different cases spoken of in Revelation 11.18. Your wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged. That's the unrepentant sinner. Your wrath has come. They're going to be judged. And that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great. You're going to reward them. You're going to judge the wicked and reward the saints. That's what's going to happen on Judgment Day. Same time of judgment, but with two very different groups, with two very different bases for their being judgment, and two very different outcomes. On the one, the group of the unrepentant sinners, the basis, their works. That book is opened, all of them are condemned, and the outcome is the same, the eternal lake of fire. And on the other hand, what happens? Different group of people, those who are in Christ. The basis, are you on in the, the book of life? And then in addition to that, there's the book of remembrance, that beyond eternal life, you are given certain rewards according to those things that have been done in Christ. And of course, the outcome is eternal heaven for all of that group. Now, just to be clear here, what basis? What is the basis upon which we receive a reward? It's very simple. It's not something that we've done in the flesh, not something that we've done in our own strength or for our own glory, but something that Christ has done in us and for his glory. That's explained to us in 1 Corinthians 3, 8. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now going on in verse 11, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which has been laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now that's the foundation, all right? Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day, the singular day of judgment, will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as so far. All right? That's so very clear, isn't it? There is a testing, not of you and your work, but of the works done in you. All right? All the things that at least would make the appearance of being fruit in your Christian life, they will be tested. It will be tested. You won't, because you're in Christ. You'll be saved. But you come with your load of good works, which you think are your fruit as a Christian. And you come, you put it there in the day, in this testing center. And the way it's going to be tested is as if by great fire. And all the things that are perishable, all the things that are worldly and fleshly and of you, of the origin, is in man and in the creation, all those things will be burned away. And what will be left? The gold and silver and precious stones of things that have been done by Christ in you. The things that have been done for his glory. The things that have been wrought by the Holy Spirit in sanctification and in the fruit that we have in the Christian life. And that's a wonderful thing then. A beautiful thing that God's people will expect to receive some rewards. 
And that's why Paul says in Colossians 2.18, let no one cheat you of your reward. And John, the apostle, in 2 John 1.8, look to yourself that we do not lose these things we work for, but that we receive a full reward. He's warning them not to go astray in various ways, in orthodoxy or in methodology or in sin and temptations, all these things that we might receive the fullest reward rather than going astray in various ways. Because that's the nature of sanctification. Now again, we've got to keep these two things different. Our justification is entirely the work of Christ by imputation. Right? It is an alien righteousness that is given to us by which we are saved. It's not our own righteousness. Our fingerprints are not on that at all. It's something that Christ gives us. On the other hand, our sanctification is by infusion even. It is by Christ, by the operation of God's grace in us, but in a, a way that works with our own good works, our own efforts. In the end, it's entirely a work of grace. We never look at anything and say, yes, I really did that. But it's God's grace producing those works in us. And those things that have been done in Christ, they remain forever, just as Christ himself remains forever. And that is the basis for rewards. That is the basis of what is in the book of remembrance. I don't want anything that I've ever done to be brought up in myself, in the flesh, because it's all sinful. I'm thankful that all those things have been nailed to the cross, and I don't expect to find anything on my, under my name in the book of works. Praise God for that. But if something has been done by Christ, however few, however, however scattered those things might be, what a great thought than to know that those things are going to be made manifest and that we're to be rewarded on that basis. So there are these, these books, and please, I don't have any quarrel with those who say, no, there's only one book, or there's only two books, or there's different chapters to, there's three books. It does not matter. That's not the issue. But we're speaking of these things by which the, the works, the natural works of man, and speaking of the book of life by which our names are either written on it or not, and also then this book of remembrance of the righteous deeds of the saints that God by grace has done in us. And as we think then to apply the fact that these books are one day going to be opened, the first question that comes to mind is, what do the books say about you, sinner? You, who are outside of Christ. You who have not yet put your faith in Christ. What do the books say about you? When they turn to that book of life, is your name written there? And on the other hand, when they turn to your name in the book of works, what do they find under that heading? Again, as you consider the very worst that you've ever done, there to be laid bare before all, and there to be scrutinized, not just by you, not just by your neighbors, but by God Almighty in all of his perfection, in all of his holiness, not a single bit of these things left out. And I hate to say that the news is vastly worse than you can imagine Because if you're outside of Christ, you don't have the Holy Spirit who enables you to see things as they are. You're in darkness. You see by the the just pure darkness. And and as it were, every once in a while you catch a a certain whiff of your own sin and you, you, you recognize that it's bad. You don't see them in the light of day at all. You have no idea of the purity of God's law and of the innumerable, virtually infant number 
of sins and all their particular circumstances. Remember, we're not just, we like to think of all the things that excuse us. We have all these, these aspects and, and circumstances that we say, well, yes, that was pretty bad, but you have to understand all the things that led up to it. Well, God understands all the things that led up to everything. And what we're going to find out, in fact, if we have the great, great, uh, terrible fate of, in fact, being judged on that basis, what we would find out is that there is a whole long list of things that actually make it much worse than what we're thinking. Of all the things that we should have known better, all the times that we've heard of God's word and of the, the righteous judgment to come, in fact, we'll be held accountable for those as well. And my question to you then is don't you want to be in the other book instead? Is that really what you want? Do you want to be judged? And some people, sadly, I don't get it at all. Some people really do. They say, in fact, one of their objections against the gospel of grace, of free grace in Jesus Christ, is that would mean that, that I've got nothing to do. That would mean that my, whole, my work, the things that I've done, my righteousness counts for nothing. And you're absolutely right. You have to forsake that. You can't be judged on the basis of both of these books. You have to take your pick, that's true. But I think in the clear light of day, when we just make this evaluation, you have to say, surely wouldn't you rather be judged on the basis of being in the Lamb's Book of Life? Now we, of course, rightly give all credit to the sovereignty of God. He knows all things and has determined all things. But as regarding our responsibility, as regarding what is given to you this day, all you have to do is believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Seek and you shall find. If you seek the Lord with all of your heart. If you desire to be in this book and if you desire then to have your, your wicked deeds and you must think again of the page and upon page upon page and all the, the words written in very small type of your wicked deeds throughout your life. If your desires that those things be wiped away, they can be. And look, look, what's there? It's the loaf that, that points to the body broken. And the, the wine that points to the shed blood of Christ. Christ has done these things. And there's nothing to be added to them at all. And simply to receive Christ in faith means that you won't be judged according to your works, but rather that you have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The second question I'd ask is, what do the books say about you, Christian? We give thanks, don't we? And there is nothing to be added or taken away from the reality of being in Christ. And in some sense, nothing. There's nothing that comes close to comparison to that. But the interesting thing to, to me, and by the way, for this reason, uh, and today we don't hear too much about rewards. There is a right emphasis on God's salvation by grace, but it seems like the, the, the uh, discussion among Christian people about rewards in heaven is almost non-existent. And the reason that would be given is, well, we care so much about being saved in Christ, we don't really care about anything beyond that. Well... Uh, that has a, a shred of wisdom to it, but let's not be wiser than God himself. And God himself is not afraid to talk about these rewards. He is not afraid to set before you 
this inducement, this motivation that you might live a holy life and that you might serve him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He doesn't mind doing that. He doesn't just do it once in small, some corner in Scripture. He does it over and over and over again. It is a regular part of the whole continuum, the whole blanket of the inducements, both negative and positive, for God's people to live a holy life and to produce holy fruit to him. And we cannot be wiser than God. You know, Hebrews 11.26 says, you know, speaking of Moses esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches and treasures in, have, in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. You say, well, that's kind of uh, uh, mechanistic, that's, that's kind of mercantile, and, and uh, that doesn't seem to be worthy. No, he says, I want you to be looking to the reward. And much more so, in fact. A right sense of reward is of the essence of saving faith. I don't know if you really consider this. But when faith is defined for us in that very same chapter, in Hebrews 11.6, here's the way it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Reward. He is a rewarder. It is the essence of faith to know that he is, and is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There's nothing, there's no problem with seeking these true spiritual rewards. The problem is when you seek rewards in this life. That's a big problem. The problem is when you seek recognition in this life. Yeah, that's a problem, absolutely. But seeking the rewards that come on the last day, the things that are true and right and holy, there's no problem there at all. Now, as I say, you can look good to man, and that is not the same thing as looking good to God. Uh, unbelievers, of course, do that in a very basic and, and, and total way. But Christians sometimes do that as well. And we forget the game that we're playing. We forget, again, forgive me for calling it a game, but you must understand the rules. All right? The judge is not here. None of us. We're not the judges. All right? I'm not the judge. Jonathan's not the judge. Mr. Murray's not the judge. It's, that's not the thing. Okay? The judge is in heaven. And if you act, if you play according to that your reward is here and you want to be held in high esteem among people, then that's what you're going to get. And all that's going to be wood, hay, and stubble, and it will be burned up. If, on the other hand, you understand that your judge is in heaven, if, on the other hand, you understand that nothing that is done in the flesh or for fleshly motivations is going to stand, and that you earnestly plead that the Lord would fill you with his spirit, give you a desire for holiness, and for obedience and serving him in the vocation that he's given, then that's going to be a different thing. And if you recognize then that whether people know it or not does not matter at all, but rather you are seeking those things that you'll get on the last day, well, that is a totally different thing. A totally different thing. And I suspect, by the way, that there will be many whom the church has highly regarded on earth that won't have much left to show for it. Because we're not very good judges, that's the thing. Don't trust yourself too much on this. We're not very good judges. And there will be some whom others who know what we're looking for have put on a really good show. And they're going to find, they've got a big, big bin of things. But it'll end up being like a skip to be thrown away because there won't be much real, genuine in it. It's inflated, it's big and it's bold. But too many of those things were done to be seen of by men. 
And on the other hand, I suspect that there will be many very unassuming, humble Christian people that we've never heard of, never given a thought to, maybe even in our midst, we don't think very much of, who simply live the life that they were given and the calling they were given, humbly seeking God's help for everything, doing the things that they were given to do in complete reliance upon the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And they will have great rewards. Because however small that bin might be, it's laden with gold and precious gems that cannot be burnt up, no matter how much scrutiny is put on them. What, does, what do the books say about you? What's written in that book of remembrance before the Lord? Thirdly and finally, I would remind us not to think that things are over until the books are read. Things are not over until the books are opened up and read. That was the situation again with Daniel. He was in despair as this revelation of what was to come was given to him. And he considered just how bad things were going to be. And it really seemed it wasn't just bad, but getting worse by every step. And that the saints were being trampled underfoot. And the holy city was being trampled underfoot. And God's name was being blasphemed. But he kept watching until the thrones were set and the books were open. Don't think in your mind that things are over until the books are open. And there at the end of time, as we think of that perspective, when every last thing that is hidden will be known, and every wrong thing will be set right, and every right thing exalted, then we see things in their true light. And we must not forget that. Let us pray. Great God in heaven, how thankful we are again that you are on the throne and we are not. How thankful we are that however fearful the thought of the things that we have, been, we have done to be known, yet we are thankful that there is coming a day of perfect clarity and no more darkness and nothing hidden. Lord, we know that those who have not yet put their faith in Christ perhaps some who have attended church for some time, that there is a fearful expectation of judgment as they consider that their works haven't been covered, haven't been paid for, that rather than their sins having been blotted out in Christ through the shed blood, on the other hand, their name has been blotted out from the book of life, and that they have nothing there to save them but everything to condemn them. And Lord, for, for them, our hearts cry out that you might have mercy on them and that you might grant them faith that they would believe and put their faith in Christ and be saved. And Lord, for us, we are thankful that you truly have put all of our tears and all the things that we've ever done truly in Christ. You've put them in a book of remembrance and not a single thing of these will ever lose its reward. How we pray, Lord, that you give us a right motivation, not to be seen by men, but rather, Lord, to be seen in Christ on that final day, and that we'd have some precious gems and gold and silver of things that we have relied upon you, that Christ's strength has been seen in our weakness, that the Holy Spirit has wrought, and all these things, not to our own glory, but to yours,
And now we pray, Lord God, that you would glorify yourself by making even weak sinners such as us to be fruitful and that there might be rewards through them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.